Hello and welcome to the Bunkerzilla Film Raw here at Bunkerzilla, the place where we devour all the latest movie news and reviews. I am your host, Ian Bolton, and I'm joined for the first time in probably what seems to be a long time, uh, and we are properly doing social distancing here, it's a Christian R. Allen. Hello from over there, two metres away from me in your garden. Hello. Basically, <laughs> we are exactly one Ian length away from each other. <laughs> you know, you want to talk, I've two separate friends told me that you are the same length in height as the social distance and we need to... Uh, Adhere to. to. That's the word, thank you. Um, so yeah. I'm, so, so, I'm so starstruck by your radiant beauty because <laughs> I've only seen a tiny pixelated version of you for the last three months. It's like, it's re- he's real, he's in the flesh. I can't touch him for, for obvious reasons. I will say, please stop referring to me as being in the flesh. I find it very creepy. Oh, okay. I, I, yeah, I, just the idea of Christian flesh. Ooh. Ooh, yeah, mm. it just doesn't, doesn't sit well in the, in the mouth. Definitely does doesn't it. taste of chicken. <laughs> I, I, I am Moorish. Yes. Yeah. In fact, you're now breaking social distancing rules by uh, sucking on my finger. And I'd ask you to stop. <laughs> <laughs> For the benefit of people who take us too literally, I was, of course, being totally sarcastic. Yeah. Or was I? <laughs> oh, dear. Ian, stop sucking my finger. But, um, uh, yes, I'm going to stop sucking your finger now. Um, oh, 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 no. It was no. funny when I said it. Oh, well, there we go. The joke has been destroyed and we can move on with our lives. Right. <laughs> so, yes, we are, we are, we have, we have met up, we are social distancing, and we're in a lovely garden. Your garden is beautiful. Can yeah. I mean, should we just give a few, like, three seconds of silence so that our listeners can hear the beautiful ambience, like the blackbird behind us? And all, all jokes aside, how are you doing? I'm very good. It was actually, it's the first time I've driven cross county. Mm. Uh, since this started, which is good because I, I was worried about my car seizing up. <laughs> it's not a diesel. We've a mutual friend of ours, a chap called Tab. He um, he was talking to me earlier that his uh, he, he's just, he's discovered since all this that you need to drive a diesel over forty miles an hour every now and then in order to clear the diesel fil- the, the filtration system. I'm not entirely sure of the engineering involved, but yeah. They, so they just they, they they took a very wasteful journey across the, like circling Manchester just to make sure their car didn't die. Mm. Which I think I think that's a valid excuse for driving out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So this is the first time I've driven beyond anywhere that's just my local Tesco. <laughs> so it is, it is actually I think it's it's quite nice to get out of here. I, I still think people should be sensible. Yes, and I do like the fact that you're you're quite. I think you'd say you're quite privileged in the fact that you have this space to work with because you've, yeah. you've invited a f- few family members over before, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since, yeah. So since we, rules were relaxed. Yeah, so we've been. Yeah, we're obviously being sensible about it. So yes, we're here in social distancing here. Um, but no, it's just it's just it's also I think for for people it's just it's just nice I guess to just actually see people in the flesh rather than over over a monitor. You said flesh again. I know. We had a conversation about this <laughs> about four minutes ago. In in, well, how else would you say it? The actual physical embodiment of the person. <laughs> I am. I am the literal manifestation of myself. Ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, but no, no, it's uh, no, it's it's actually quite nice. It's, we've been quite lucky. It's a little bit breezy. But, yeah, that, um, that squeak is the umbrella, the, yes. the parasol. Yes, if you can hear a squeak in the background, it is the parasol above us. And um, Ian's uh, uh, wooden leg, because yes. you were a pirate for a while, weren't you? Yar. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Yara. But um yes, this well, this is this is film raw, so obviously we're gonna talk about films. Um 
and we've been I mean we've been watching a couple of films this week outside of the main releases which I think we we've had fun talking about yeah um, so what what's been on your plate recently uh, I've been catching up my old classic Studio Ghibli I mean mm-hmm. all, I, I've imported some of the Blu-rays from Japan because they're higher bit rate and I'm stupid enough to spend sixty quid on one film uh, oh <laughs> but if, if you're if you're not an idiot like me you can always watch them on Netflix at the moment in the UK I believe in America they're going to be uh, they're, they're currently streaming on HBO Max I believe so yeah, yeah they'll so. they'll be on HBO HBO Max, which, I, which I think is more exciting than um, the Snyder Cut, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've we've talked about the Snyder Cut a couple of episodes ago yeah. now. So uh, um, we um, we watched uh, My Neighbor Totoro, which is the most. It's so charming and so pure, and um, it's 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 so it's it's fascinating how it feels kind of very intimate a story. It's it's not it's not a huge story. It's not as say spiraling as Spirited Away yeah. or Princess Mononoke. Um, but the heart of this film is so big, it's mm. impossible not to smile for the whole 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. And um, Totoro is an incredible like creation in itself. Mm. King Totoro, I should yeah. say. Um, no, it's I, I just... Yeah, the world feels. I mean, we're in a very we're in a very awful situation at the moment in the world with you know with politics, COVID nineteen. Yeah. You know, if you if you need a break for your own sanity, just you can't go wrong. You can't. You can do a lot worse than by watching My Neighbor Totoro. Mm. Um, doesn't matter your age as well. Um, watching it, I realise I haven't introduced any of my nieces to Studio Ghibli movies. Something you need to rectify, I guess. A- absolutely. Yeah. I'm mid- my fiance, we're thinking of um. Showing our oldest nieces, um, a seven and eight year old girl, sorry, six and seven year old girl, um, Kiki's Delivery Service. Ah, which yes. I, feel, I feel that's a good introduction. That's a, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. I good do one. like that a lot. Mm. Um, and another completely different film, only a couple, produced a couple of years later by the studio, was um, Only Yesterday, mm. which um, is very, it's it's a very, it's quite a bittersweet slice of life movie. In fact, um, we were just talking about this. Uh, it's surprising a story like this was animated because you didn't really need to. Um, it's it's very. The story in itself is so grounded, mm. so realistic and authentic. Um, it, it feel, it, it, it's surprising that this isn't been um, like a, a live action drama. I'm glad it is animated because the animation is exquisite, especially there are scenes where they're producing various dyes from um, mm. a farm, and it's really it's the, the animation is exquisite. And it's just this, it's just the um, it's a celebration of the everyday things which are quite mundane mm-hmm. f- in a filmic sense because you, you go to film because you want to watch like like Hitchcock said you know yeah. a film is uh, a good film is um, uh, a life of all the boring bits cut out this film is kind of a celebration of the mundane in a, in a way that isn't boring far from it it's very compelling but it's heartbreaking um, the everyday um, everyday struggles of childhood um, I do recommend those films they're very good um, they are both I would consider them both five-star movies. Um, something we're not going to be spoiler alert giving to the two films we're reviewing this week. Yeah, it's it's going to be a bit of a frowning movie week, to be honest. Is <laughs> that going to say frowning? Yes, let's, let's rephrase that. It's going to be a bit of a disappointing movie week. <laughs> week, but uh, no, I mean uh, for for me, I've been trying to watch a few more movies in the evening. So um, um, I've had a couple of uh, new 4Ks that I've been eager to try and uh, test out. Um, I've watched Gladiator. Ridley Scott's Gladiator. Uh, I watched this in the cinema when it first came out, and I think that was when I was about 15, 14 at the time, and it was kind of like being in awe of blockbusters. I think I, I think I, I never heard of a film that was going longer than two hours at that <laughs> stage in my life. But uh, the, the brilliance of Gladiator is it revived a dead art form, the sort of like the spiraling, spiraling 
I think I've used that phrase too many times in this podcast. So the um, the epic history, yeah, like like Ben Hur yeah. or Ten Commandments that, that have fallen really out of fashion. Especially, mm. I think Cleopatra was sort of the last oh, yeah, big yeah. attempt by. I mean, that famously only recuperated its loss losses through DVD sales a couple of years ago. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. Um, so um, yeah, they, those films fell out of favor really, but um, quite hard in Hollywood. Um, and the genius of Gladiator as well. The, the, the use it's the first. Not only did it revive that form, uh, also that it was the first, obviously, to be able to have the freedom of CGI. Yeah. So uh, previously, you watch those classics, and you every amazing shot of Rome mm. is static because it's a painting yeah. on a sheet of glass in front of the camera. That uh, how did it film 4K? The scene where they they approach the Colosseum. Oh, and it it's. In, it's magnificent. It's the, the intimidating because ca- the camera pans around, doesn't it? Yeah. To sort of emphasise the fact that we well, the, can free, we freely move. Well, this is this is the credit of the 4K release. I mean, certain films when you watch them in 4K don't look nice. They're all basically. I think they're they're. Is that limitations of the age, or, yeah, is, or is it some of the digital processing involved? Possibly in a bit of both. A bit of both. Um, I mean, especially when you look at things like Netflix. Look at Netflix films, for example. You can easily tell when an explosion's fake. Yeah. Whereas still, whereas these films back then and now with the 4K, they still look pretty realistic. Mainly because of physical effects. But no, I think with the the 4K presentation was really, really strong for Gladiator. Um, It's like at certain points you could look at this film and you could believe it was filmed yesterday. Mm. And it's like, I forgot uh, Joaquin Phoenix was in this as well well he's brilliant yeah he's like he's like he's got it's like the sniffing little little grass yeah, yeah who wants to be emperor but well but he, he was worse in real life i i, I specialized in roman history when i studied mm. um at uni and commodus was monstrous mm. so one of the worst things he did uh, <laughs> that really disturbed me is he had several giraffes chained together in the coliseum and one by one decapitated them for the to entertain the crowd oh yeah it's mm. like um, I, th- I think he was toned down for the film. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think he kind of was in that sense. And he's still a bastard, and mm. he's a, he's a great villain. Mm. It's just uh, it's just it's a nice. It feels like it still feels like a very complete movie that has aged quite nicely. Uh, it's been it's because it's nearly tw- it's been over twenty years since the film. It was two thousand and one, best picture, wasn't it? Yeah, t- yeah, yeah. It's like it's just staggering how well the film looks after 20 years that that score hands in the oh, score it's, oh the the ending theme of we will be free and stuff it's just like it's it was just it was just a film that just really came together in all the ingredients i mean famously as well it's oliver reed's last film because he died during production yes. and even even ollie reed is mag is kind of so charismatic as the former gladiator turned sort of slave trader because mm. basically it's like oh when you when you die You'll go. You'll go to heaven by the courts of angels. Elysium, yeah, yeah, to Elysium. Gladiators, I salute you. And I'm quite excited. Um, there is a 4K restoration in the works of Spartacus, Ooh. Stanley Kubrick movie, Kirk Douglas. I know it's not. I know Kubrick was director, and it was pretty much a paid job. It's probably yeah. it's the only major Kubrick movie that wasn't a Kubrick movie, if that makes mm. sense. But um, it's again, it's that classic uh, epic. So I mean, that would be a great double bill: Spartacus, yeah. and Gladiator. Mm. Like, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, if you've got a 4K player and you want a really good 4K demonstration, go uh, go get that one. I also watched. Um, I also watched the first one of the Dan Brown trilogy with. Uh, 
Da Vinci Code, uh, Tom Hanks and Audrey Tattoo. Um, obviously, back in the day, the the book was a huge smash. Yeah. Um, because it was a book everyone just kept talking about. I mean, I remember there being lots of documentaries being released on video and DVD about the Vinci Code un, un, <laughs> unlocked and all that sort of stuff because everyone was getting in on it at the time. Well, it was, it was, I think it was a case of the... Um, do you ever hear of the Streisand effect? No, I haven't. So Barbara Streisand, she found out that um, pictures of her um, multi-million dollar coastal property were about to be splashed on the internet mm. and she decided to sue the journalists involved and the publishers in order to um, prohibit the release of these images. Unfortunately, the fact that Barbara Streisand sued them generated more news and um, paid, focused <laughs> far more attention to the story than if she had just left it alone. Mm. So that's become known as the Streisand effect. Mm. Um, so it feels very similar to... Um, um, with um, the Da Vinci Code, um, when the book came out, the Vatican, I believe the Vatican banned it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I get the impression if the Vatican hadn't even mentioned it, no one would have picked it up. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, the, the book is, I remember enjoying reading it, but it, it, I've, <laughs> it felt hollow. It felt like it was manipulating the reader a bit too much in order to get through. Every page is a cliffhanger. Yeah. It's exhausting. It's like there's so many chapters in the book. It's like only two pages on a chapter and it's just kind of I think it I think it has been joked in like things like Family Guy at how how short the chapters were. It's like, "Oh, I'm feeling really intelligent because I'm, I'm I've read a three-page chapter." <laughs> Try reading Terry Pratchett novels because there aren't any chapters in that and it's frustrating because <laughs> you get 30 pages in. It's like, "I need a break. Please stop, Mr. Pratchett." <laughs> but yeah, Da Vinci Code. Um I think the way I've, I would describe it is it is the most genteel of chase movies I think you'll ever come across. There's, I mean, yeah, there's the whole sort of thing of the the supposed conspiracy theory in the film of of Jesus having had been married, had offsprings, and there are there are descendants of Jesus living today in that sort of sense and the whole thing of the church saying no we have to cover this up otherwise our religion is doomed and they have the, they have a, like a murderous hitman monk played by Paul Bettany going to do I mean he's very good yeah I mean I mean, don't get me wrong it's like the, I like the ideas behind it I think it's it was if you were going you could, I feel like you could make a really good thriller out of this but it doesn't necessarily come across as a thriller it just comes across as a general inconvenience for everyone involved it's also it's also my, my recollections are is that the um it becomes too much of a history lesson, a pseudo history lesson. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it try it tries to. I mean, the history involved, the historiosity, is tenuous at best. I mean, it's all speculative. I mean, it's fascinating if you if you read like the original books that this uh, Da Vinci Code are based on. Uh, mm. It is, it is, it is really interesting. But it is all it's it's conspiracy theory, mm. and I think my problem with Dan Brown and this film in particular is almost trying to act as if it's a historical. Portray yeah. in a similar vein to um, Oliver Stone's JFK. Like, oh, okay. he, he took the attitude: this isn't a dramatization; this is actually a history lesson. And it's like, mm, mm. it's <laughs> it's more reflective of the history of the time it's made and the politics of its age than any story it's depicting. Um, but no, it's there's a lot of great talent involved. I think Tom Hanks is painfully miscast. In fact, in the book, his character is described as looking like Harrison Ford, and I remember my friend at the time being irritated that Harrison Ford wasn't cast. Do you think Harrison Ford would have been thrilled with this? I don't think Harrison Ford's been thrilled of anything since the 70s. I think he's just happy to take money. Like, I, I, I absolutely adore 
I can't remember who did it, but one journalist asked him who you did hand shoot first, and he just immediately quipped, "I don't care," and walked <laughs> off. <laughs> and she, you know, as as a hardened Star Wars fan who's been bugged by that edit for the last twenty years, I I never considered the possibility of not caring before. So that was. <laughs> I've just noticed you've got a, you've got a statue of a snail in your garden. And someone's given it like a bow tie out of shoelaces. And that's the thing we put the parasol together with. Ah, ah mysteries. Mysteries Mystery revealed. We were going to record this earlier, but there was a big bump. Oh, great. The moment I've taken my coat off, the coldest <laughs> gust of wee. Uh, wee? Wheeze? <laughs> gust of wind. <laughs> I think I, was, I, I tried to say breeze and wind at the same time and created the worst spoonerism. <laughs> uh, Ian, the wheeze, it's cold. <laughs> it's a chilly wheeze today. Oh. <laughs> uh. Well, I was going to, all right, just assume I was, I was about to make a really outstanding prescient point about the Da Vinci Code, but I can't, I've lost my track of thought now because it was cold and wheezy. My, my general feeling is I think out of the three Robert Landon films they did, uh, Da Vinci Code is the weakest simply because it's not, it doesn't feel like the, the threat of obviously people trying to cover up things feels, feels genuine. It doesn't really feel, feel, you can feel, oh my God, what's going to happen to these heroes and or the, or these these people trying to find the truth? It's just like, oh, okay, everything's just easily found. Oh, I've got a mobile phone. Oh, we'll just go to this church. Oh, we've solved the mystery. We're good now. I don't know. Go back to signing books, I guess. Um, but no, uh, Angels and Demons and Inferno, the other two, um, are a lot. I feel were a lot more engaging and actually had a kind of like a propelling sort of race against the clock side of things because in angels and demons uh hanks is trying to work with the vatican police to find someone who's stolen a very dangerous uh, like weapon from a scientist and is about to blow up the vatican and so like, and you mcgregor's in that one as well that was quite good uh, is it a prequel it's the book comes before da vinci code but the way they work it is they work it as the actual they work it as a sequel okay. so it's kind of like they just make a throwaway line to the last film and then inferno it's well it's tom hanks uh felicity jones uh running against the clock uh trying to find out the mysteries behind this end of world prediction made by ben foster oh him there we go. him who is like um because at the start of the film ben foster is this multimillionaire who who just suddenly commits suicide at the very start of the film and the clues about why he's committed suicide and all of that is kind of like sets off the chain reaction of racing against the clock to find out uh, this this president or this prediction of the end of the world coming true in a sense. And um, yeah, it, it goes against uh, goes across Europe. And again, I, I kind of enjoy that one. Um, I think out of the three, I kind of prefer Angels and Demons. It's it just feels a bit more of a an all rounder film, I suppose. But um, yeah, I mean it's I mean the four K for that. It looks okay. It looks fine. It's a nice upscale. I mean, it does still kind of look like it was filmed back in 2006, 2007. It's interesting. A film from a film, an older film, Gladiator, seems to have been more effective. Well, it's on because that medium I, then. I think I think it's because of the, the the transfer quality of the of the picture, and obviously the 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 source as well. Because some discs at 4K are upscale 2K versions, which either are okay or depending on the process and all that sort of stuff and the bit rate on the disc looks amazing. I was about to buy the Jason Bourne box because I'm a huge fan of the original trilogy. Yeah. I hadn't realised how poorly received the 4K transfers yeah. are. They're, they're, but some people are convinced that the bl they're worse quality than the Blu-ray. Yeah. I mean, it's telling you, I mean, I go to a site like, uh, like Blu-ray.com. They're really good with their Blu-ray. Yes, uh, I, I use that. Because they'll, well. they'll have the 4K rating and the 
and the standard video rating. And usually the video rating is five and the 4K is about 2.5 free worry. Yes. Um, it was the same with the, I think we've said this before on the podcast, the um, the free flavor Cornetto trilogy. Yes. It's meant to be very yes. bad on 4K. And yeah. I've seen some comparisons and like, um, it's a big problem. I mean, we, lo- we obviously we love our anime and mm. in Japan they've started releasing 4Ks, but they're, um, um, they're basically, it seems to be the attitude is let's remove all the grain as humanly possible. Ooh. And um, so Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence is meant to be, looks dreadful in 4K. Um, um, Lupin the Third, Castle of Cagliesto, is, um, looks, it's, uh, it's so scrubbed up that it kind Ooh. of loses the quality. Yeah, I'm just like, I might as well stick to keep I my Blu-ray. I, I, I don't like that with, with remasters and that. I mean, with, with again, with Gladiator and Da Vinci Code, they use film grain. There's quite a lot of grain noise in the Da Vinci Code print from one I was watching because there were bits where just big specks of film grain or was like I don't know if it was just noise so like it pops up under the eyes of Audrey the Two in one scene I was just going well they've mm. ever processed this shot to high heaven yeah um, whereas sometimes the grain feels very very natural and it's like oh it's not intrusive it still gives it that film like quality that's, that's what we want it's like, I mean yeah. yeah we don't want things to be perfectly smooth I, I get the impression these are considerations for modern televisions but I, it we, again we've said this before 4k is clearly intended for cinephiles who are willing to spend money on higher mm. end um, equipment yeah. Um, if you don't care about these things, just stick with a DVD or a Blu-ray. I've got, or, I've or got digital. Fr- yeah, I've got friends who are just they they cannot tell the difference between a DVD and a 4K. Mm. So what's the point? You might as well spend three quid on the DVD version of the film, All right? If you're going to market, so this product product is clearly designed for people like you and I. Mm. You and I, people like you, us, we don't like <laughs> super smoothing or like we don't yeah. we don't like low oh, compression rates. It's that whole um, auto motion thing. Hate it. And yeah. um, I think there was, I don't know how far ahead they went with it, but um, I know certain film directors, I think Nolan, Ryan Johnson and stuff like that, they threw their names behind uh, director's mode things yes. on TVs. Uh, I don't know which brand. Um, I'll have a look at it a bit later on. I do remember. It, I mean, it has surprised me that most televisions default to like a soap opera mode. Yeah. And it's horrible. Yeah. The colours are just dead. I think, I think the only time I turn it on is when I'm watching someone like WWE Network because it yeah. makes it look like how it was broadcast in America. Yeah. Whereas, basically, if I ever see it on on anyone else's TV, and I think my brother's the same on this, we are compelled to find the remote <laughs> and correct it. I've done that. I've, I've driven, I've, I've paused the film halfway through and I've driven Midge mad by just like, hang on, I just need to sort the gamma out. <laughs> today. I, I, I'm the same because I'll start watching, I'll start watching a film and if I'm thinking the, the picture's not as I remember it or just slightly off, I'll, I'll pick up the remote and I'll start making the tweaks. So I might yep. miss something at the start, but at the end I'm still going, but say, yeah, that looks it's, more natural. It's, it's frustrating. I can't enjoy the film if it doesn't feel like I'm watching the film as intended. Yeah. Or as a, as a close proximity to it. Because a, a DVD or a Blu-ray, or, or, it doesn't matter how, how high resolution, it's still a digital representation of a, mm. like a, a, a I don't know if organic's the right word, but a, a chemical, or an, an, an analog oh, image. One of the, one of the, one of the, I remember this from the DVD days, um, when a disc was THX mastered. It would, yeah. It, it would. It would come with. It would come with like the the tuning guide on. Really? As a, like I said, this was true. I think um, Die Hard Region One import when it was like the five star collection. Um, you would have a feature. Of, you would have like a, a an option on the menu to go to this special sort of 
uh, sequence of slides and stuff like that to say, okay, adjust your picture so this box is, the sli is slightly visible, but this box is entirely visible. And you'd go through all these little bits and go, right, you're all now set up for proper THX presentation. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> it's weird. It's weird you don't do that with color. You, when you when you get your TV out of your box, you're not expected yeah. to adjust the colors to. Because normally, I mean, in professionals, then we have like color guides and things like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. People just kind of set, and then they get like, like I, I know again going with DVDs and such. I, I have friends and family who just cannot tell the difference. Mm. They can't tell the difference between video look and film look. Mm. I, I've, I've 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 had people talk about <laughs> they've talked about um, you know we're paying this for HD. Look at this HD signal. Doesn't, doesn't it look great? And I've been like, you're on the standard definition version. <laughs> and I, I've literally, I've literally, t I've changed the sentence to them and showed them the football on the HD and like, oh yeah. If I'm watching a sporting event in HD with, with the family and it's not on the HD channel, again, I will grab that remote and say, no, you're not on the right, <laughs> right thing. It should be that. I've, 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 had, um, I've had people like... Um, family i've got them to set record for me on the sky and then i've gotten back home from holiday and i've realized they've set the standard definition like bbc one normal not hd and i i've generally just waited until like <laughs> the blu-ray came out I'm like nah no I'd, I'd rather wait uh, no, i'm not watching only a quarter of the picture <laughs> i think i think <laughs> the thing why I, I will always go if if i can't watch it in 4k i'll watch things in hd i i can't i can't go back to dvd if dvd is if dvd is, if it is the only way available then dvd is the only yeah, way available I, I it's not going to be at the end of the day i recently um i i introduced Michaela to the crow which is one of my favorite films mm. um it had it, it definitely the the less the more removed from being an impressionable teenager i am the mm. less i like the crow but I've, <laughs> <laughs> um but um i i, I was going to grab it on blu-ray but again the picture quality was meant to be i had to look at it and it's just like why you've basically just upscaled the DVD version. I might as well just have the DVD and use my player to upscale it. And yeah. it seemed fine, but it was it was weird watching something on DVD for the first time mm. in like good ten years or so. I think I watched a couple of um, I watched a couple of old Lupin films on DVD, and yeah, it's like the, the picture quality isn't great, but at least it was still very watchable, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I think sometimes when it becomes really stark contrast is if I'm watching something in HD. And then I go to the same channel on SD on standard definition, and it just looks like I've just put cling film over my eyes, <laughs> and it just it just I've looks just been like, punched in the face. Yeah, it's like everything's just blurry. It's like no, no, and, <laughs> and you start hyperventilating over it. It's like, it's like this is not. <laughs> I can't see things clearly here. So that's what that's what I think for most things. I get more. It's actually quite an interesting, an interesting, interesting uh, comment that uh, my university teacher made uh, when I did video production at uni, was people don't really mind the picture issues if the sound is excellent. Yes, I, I am far. I'm, I know of the sound is out of sync by a fraction of a second. Yeah, and it's it's infuriating. Mm. Like I've um. When when been like was it VLC player was it VCL player you know yeah. The, yeah the traffic cone one I um I, I remember spending half an hour adjusting this <laughs> this audio track of a film I had totally not illegally downloaded because that's naughty 
I'm staring at Christian with disappointment. It was 2004 eyes. and I was poor. Leave me alone. All right. <laughs> Sue me. Please don't. Uh, <laughs> Hollywood's on the line, Christian. They right. want to talk to you. You owe us $12 million. <laughs> no. <laughs> Why? Because we want to make a second Snyder cut. No. no. My life has been wasted. <laughs> But um, no, yeah, the sound is definitely the case. Um, it's why it's it's interesting when when I was editing, I always paid more attention to sound, like the mm. impact sound bridge, bridging can have on a scene. Yeah, um, like we, I was so angry. I was on a project once, and the editor, um, he he left about one and a half seconds worth of audio um, unedited. It was just blank. And it stuck up like a sore thumb, and we were downgraded two whole marks because so you, of this. So you would have like, so you would have like a conversation, and then you just have a second, a second of silence. Yeah, there was no, there was no oh, background that, that, ambience. Yeah, yeah, that that's. Ooh, ooh. I, I remember watching. I hadn't seen it until we, it was only on the the. Um, it was the um, presentation. presentation for the lecturers, and I, I just assumed it was such a. Um, elementary error that you wouldn't make it unless mm. it was like your first time making a film like at 14 or something like that I'm, still, I, I'm not bitter but I'm still furious I, I, <laughs> I, no I remember I remember my uni film my last my last film at uni um, for the like the last year uh, I did it for it was the module was all to filmmaking and I did the film I completed the film and I handed it in and they went oh we would like to we would like to do it we would like to present it at the showcase and it's like okay cool that's awesome it's like but it's too long edit it down <laughs> no. So I made, so I think I've made like standard directors and hybrid cuts of the film. <laughs> Are you saying it's the Blade Runner of student films? <laughs> Possibly. No, it's, it's definitely. Well, not. Ridley. I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to call you Ridley Bolton from now on. I like that. I oh, know that makes you sound like a Game of Thrones villain. Actually, I I wonder if there's any merit of us watching our old uni work films and no you'll never no one is ever going to watch my uni films <laughs> I, I it's interesting because I, they were they were good for 16 year olds yeah like i, I won a few awards uh, the only awards i've ever won are for my early films mm. i won a couple from a from like a film festival that was sponsored by the uk film council which doesn't exist anymore no, um, it's just a BFI. Yeah, it's just BFI, really. So that, that was a that was a highlight. No, I mean, mm. it's only a local little thing. It's not like a junior BAFTA or something. Um, and I won when I was sixteen. I won um, uh, best film in my film class mm. college thing. Me Bob. Um, so I've had I've had little bits of success like that. But <laughs> any aspiring filmmaker should never let anyone see the films they made when they were a teenager because <laughs> they're so they are they are all the same. They are all pretentious. They are all like. <laughs> They, they all clean. Uh, at least I never did the one thing that my saving grace as a, as a teenage filmmaker is I never did a suicide scene and I never did a sex scene because for some reason I did neither of those in my films. Did you? It is weird though because most of your peers did. Did, <laughs> did you find that? Virtually, no. No? All, no, I don't recall any. All, but and most of the people in my class, class, various film classes, they they did that. If you think of all the cliches and terrible stereotypes of student films, that that they're they're. they're they're based on truth. You okay? Is yeah. A... I'm just kind of, kind of trying to think back to the stuff that I made at uni. I quite like the stuff. Have you seen me? I, I'm sure you, you showed me the um this, uh sort of tracking action sequence. I recall you. No, that was the film I made outside of uni afterwards. Oh. That oh, uh, we talked about Hunter. I think so. Yeah. The one where I managed to get actors to throw themselves through a wall. Yes, that. Yes. Uh, maybe maybe that might be something to revisit in the future because it's like bits of that film I, I, I'm really quite pleased about even though it took 
ages. Well, basically, we shot it over the summer of... When did Born Ultimatum come out? 2000... Uh, 2005, I believe. No, I think it was 2007, because I just finished uni. Yeah, 2007. Because, um, yeah, we filmed, uh, We did a bit of filming over the... Um, over the summer and then it took about probably about probably five six months to get the edits done because the people who were editing uh had other jobs as well <laughs> and they had borrowed my computer so i couldn't i couldn't edit the film at home so every time we would just bring the they'll bring my computer back we'll sit down we'll do bits and pieces of editing but no i mean that they, they approached it with real pro, with proper editing eyes as well because they were doing oh yeah we'll go to adobe effects we'll get the color correction going here we'll get the sound correction going there and it just took it just took a really long time to get it to the end and by the time it came out we finished it, it was like ah huh, okay didn't you just do an offline edit first uh That'd so much quicker probably <laughs> it's like bear in, bear in mind this is like uh, this is kind of like me belting off more than i can chew i guess mm. oh I've, I've been guilty of that because there was i think the first day of shooting i I'd, I'd come back from holiday in cornwall and i was ill I wasn't particular. I was like, I had a, I had an inflamed esophagus or something like that, and I just was not, not there. That's your D and D character name, isn't it? Yeah, inflamed esophagus. Yeah, and I think at the end of the first day, one of the actors asked one of my friends for the producers, like, "Is he okay? Am I doing this role okay? Because he's not saying much." And it's like, no, it's it's like, and then the second day, I was kind of, no, it's because I, I am dying. I was like, I have the consumption. Yeah, so if I so if I'm able to try and, I mean the the thing is, it's like you learn you learn a lot more. I think with each each short that I did, I learned something a bit different. Well, precisely, that's the only way artists learn is by making mistakes. Is why you know. Yeah. Right. And I think eventually, by the time I got to doing some of the stuff for the conventions that I've been involved with, especially the the, the Fate series for Kitacon, um, I learned I learned a lot more. What, what, what's the Fate series? series for, uh, <laughs> just for the benefit of <laughs> yeah, our listeners. Basically, um, during my time at uh, Kitacon, it was a, a UK-based anime convention that started in Northampton, went to Birmingham, and it's gone over to Warwick, um, which both me and Christian have had uh, times working with the convention as well. Um, we did a series of short films in the build-up to, uh, to our 2014 event because we had taken a year off and me and uh, the video officer, a very talented chap by the name of Luke Dan, um, we were we were quite keen to to do things or just kind of do something film or just kind of do more videos during during the off season. So we decided to do uh, a mini web series, and these would be free uh, mini features about thirty minutes each uh, to tie in with the opening ceremony video of the next event, which again would be about thirty minutes. So it was kind of like there was the exploits of uh, a secret organization of agents and all that trying to instill peace in the anime community and making a total <laughs> and making a total bog dog's bollocks of it as they go along. So like the first episode, Hard Sub, is about the war between uh, fans of subtitled animes and fans of dubbed anime was, was this before or after japan discovered king of the hill i'm not sure <laughs> uh the second one was all about uh it was a take on illegal downloading so basically we had creatures known as the leeches who would who, would, <laughs> who were downloading or steaming anime and Did they have green teas on them or like no no or... no no they were kind of made up to be like these real horrible kind of like monster creatures that kind of had the free stuff Oh, it's it's like it it was very very creepy because basically they were wearing like black hoodies and stuff like that. We put um, we put black makeup so that you couldn't see anything except their teeth. 
to make them generally menacing. And then the third one was about just some uh, just uh, a very angry uh, person setting giant inflatable bombs off at conventions, and we did an ode to. Um, we did the ode to the bat shark, the bat bomb. You know the yes, big Batman yes, movie? The, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where we're the just... The good Batman movie. Yeah, the good Batman movie <laughs> where you just... And, and this was when we were just we were just running around the event with this inflatable uh, beach ball, which I'd spray-painted black, and we taped the word bomb on. <laughs> and did you get Bomb Squad turning up? No, like? strangely not, because, because it was like, oh, it's a guy with an eye patch running around and a guy dressed as a dinosaur. How can this possibly be a realistic thing to watch? worry about <laughs> did you actually contact the local authorities for do before doing that scene no wow i wouldn't have the nerve but to the, do that but the, but, no, the, but the fact is i think because people knew what we were doing at the time because because at the time we were still doing stuff for the convention to go oh yeah they're just doing stuff for the, the con nothing to be too worried about it's just like sorry to interject it's just um this is completely i once worked on a, a, a documentary project um for for the isle of white mm. and we contacted the council we got a message. We got an email back from one of their um, administrators, just saying, "Would you like us to close some roads down for you?" <laughs> like, I mean, these roads are like the major arteries of the Isle of Wight. Like you'd just cut off the entire community. Not that they've left 1976 anyway. Since the uh, since then, but I, I turned around to the other producers, like we don't need to, but I kind of want to, just, just for the power. Yeah, for the power. Like, we, after a good five minutes, we're like, "No, thank you." <laughs> <laughs> But, but yeah, so yeah, I, I saw the last fake video. It was fun. It was like it looked like a good laugh. Mm. It was it it was. I, I'm very proud of the work that I've done on the films, uh, and I think both me and and Luke, who was the co-director and co-creator of the things as well, we were we were very pr pr proud of what we'd done. Um, it's just it really took a toll on well, on us all. I one, think one of the things I learned the hard way is that you have to learn to trust other people, and you need to find people who are who are mm. willing to work with you. Yeah. I've been let down by people, and I've put too much pressure on myself. Yeah, I um I produced and directed a pilot for the BBC. I don't know, about seven years ago now. Mm. Um, it was a bat. It was um kind of off the record. It was like a quiet. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there was no budget. I think we spent about five hundred quid each. Me and the producer, who's oh. one of a very good friend of mine, a chap called Danny, um, who'll be a groomsman with you. Oh, John. <laughs> <laughs> if COVID nineteen doesn't stop my wedding from happening, um, and um, it didn't, it kind of fell apart, and um, we realised it was just we, we just took too much. A, we hadn't. We were both we both directed it together, and we never really sat down and worked out how we worked well together. Mm. So there was um there wasn't there was kind of a tension between us because we wanted different things and it was just mm. it was stupid that we never actually we just assumed we'd want the same thing yeah we went into production sort of like um um I'm amazed we've become as close friends as we have <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had an argument with someone on a film set or like um no I don't think I don't think I have mm. um I think not that we ever had an argument no. but it was more there was more tension of that nature. we um it's interesting me and me and Danny, when we talk about like, our experiences working together on, on the pilot and other videos, we both, although there were tensions and it didn't pan out for us, that we both agree they're the biggest learning, mm. um, biggest learning curves we've ever had in our career. Yeah. And um, ever since we've done projects since, we're hoping to, um, we're hoping to work on a feature length in the next couple of years or so. Mm. I mean, I've got, I've got, um, you and I want to work on sort of like comedy sketches and things yeah. like that. Um, no, it's it's interesting. I'm 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 a lot more confident now. 
I mm. hope I hope you feel the same way after. Although, although they're very difficult to go through, those like yeah. it's so exhausting, especially when th- those productions are the weight's on your shoulder. Yeah, and um, yeah, I think I think because it was, I think I was doing more. We were doing well, especially myself. I was doing more than just standing behind a camera and, and writing stuff. I was doing stuff in front of the camera as well, and there was all sort of yeah, yeah. that's a difficult. I, I yeah, I would tr- I would try to avoid. Um, I think because. Um, yeah, both me and Danny are going to be in front of camera for some scenes of our feature, if you know, if it goes. <laughs> um, I, I tend to I like to talk about things after I've done them. Yeah, yeah, in case things because life can happen. Yes, there's no guarantees until I come. Uh, uh, you know, there's no guarantees things will actually um, pan out the way we want them because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. No. Events, dear boy. <laughs> Events. <laughs> Events. Yes. Um, but um. I found the biggest... It was interesting, actually. Um, a few years after we did our TV pilot, Danny was involved in an, another TV pilot. And um, uh, very good. I, I played a character and he cast me in it. I thought it was very funny. Um, and the production crew disappeared. Like, after... <laughs> the, 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 I, I got a phone call. So I was there for one day. It was about two-week film. And um, it was the best best piece of filming I've ever been involved in. Like, everything I did, people laughed. Because I was playing like a, a, playing a, 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 a psycho... A strange, a strange, a very strange stalker. Chat. Yeah, stalker. Yeah, um, I was very convincing in the role. Apparently, as method acting. Tony <laughs> um, Day Lewis would be proud. Yes, <laughs> I. Um, yeah, I, I stalked people for two months in preparation of the role. I um, wonder why you wouldn't leave my front lawn. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, is that is that, is our friendship um, Stockholm syndrome? Is that what I'm I am here? <laughs> but um, it was yeah, it was straight. I got a fr- the product the. The director and the um, all the film crew and the editor I met and things like this, they loved it. The energy was so positive and it was the I came away buzzing for months thinking, Oh, this is gonna be big. This is be big. And then I get a phone call from Danny just saying, like, yeah, they've just all gone. I'm like, what? They haven't edited it. <laughs> like they've just um Well, I I think I think they had a lot of real world commitments, unfortunately. Yeah. And to be fair to them, because they were great people and they're very talented, but clearly mm. what had happened was they were doing this out of love and then they all had to go and do corporate gigs and whatnot mm. and poor Danny got left with all this footage that had oh. kind of been edited so I, I turned up and I, I re-edited everything for him mm. in about three days <laughs> I mean uh, I mean one of the I think one of the the good things about doing video production at uni was you do learn um, you do learn what really needs to be done for these films to work um, for my auto film it's like I had to because we were doing locations and I didn't have a car I had to go hire a car so I had to I had to use money to hire a car. Well, that's the crazy thing. When I look back at my my first major production, it's like um, when we we didn't have a car, we didn't mm. have money. We relied on public transport and things like this. Yeah. And dragged actors and film crew along. Mm. And I realised how <laughs> I, I'm glad I made so many mistakes, so I can never make them again. Yeah, <laughs> and and also it's also about obviously treating treating car, uh, crew and creative or not crew and cast correctly mm. as well i mean it, they always they taught you the lesson that that yes while a lot of actors are obviously lo- obviously want to be actors or, or up-and-coming actors are looking for every bit possible getting um getting their cv filled up with with footage and, and stuff like that you still have to a degree be able to compensate them for their time so it's like covering travel costs making sure there's food making sure that they are comfortable bananas yes making <laughs> making sure that they're comfortable when they're not required and so forth, and those are lessons, and those are lessons that you do learn as well. Um, I tell you what, like when I've when I've been like just little stupid bits and big films, 
the best thing is because you you only do about half an hour of filming and you're there for 10 hours mm. and like the amount I've never had so many free cups of tea and biscuits in my life <laughs> it's like I must have put on so much weight <laughs> like, it's like the heaven of tea heaven, heaven of tea <laughs> and the, the amount of fish and chips I got as well was incredible and like you can't complain was it an army marches on its stomach <laughs> it's, just, it's completely true uh, no, I mean I, I'm, I'm enthusiastic I, I feel like um, it's interesting that I'm, I'm doing this like I, I, prefer, I think I'm more of a I think I prefer to make things than critique things, which is slightly ironic, seeing as I'm doing a podcast about film review with you. <laughs> well, I think, I think to a degree, it's kind of it's helpful to see it. It's helpful from both sides because you can you learn are, from other people's mistakes. Yeah, you as learn, well. you, yeah, you learn from other people's I'm mistakes. Definitely this week. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> and so, yeah. So um, let's bring let's bring opening chat to a close because we've been going on for quite a, quite a while. But I've, again, like always, I love these chats. I really do enjoy these chats. I hope you guys listen and enjoy it as well. Do let us know what you think. Email us at filmrobertbunkzilla.co.uk. Um, to maybe, be honest, I kind of forget what we're recording. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, we, uh, might be something to revisit down the line kind of like the the student film years or something like that that'll be fun yeah, yeah be fun. <laughs> but anyway film reviews are the name of the game for this episode let's start off with a brand new film from netflix it's the last days of american crime here's a clip the world is in chaos criminals we run these streets the government was about to fight back. 30 seconds! That signal freezes you. It stops you from doing anything illegal. So this is Netflix's The Last Days of American Crime. It is a futuristic, well, kind of futuristic uh, uh, crime thriller set in the not-too-distant future. It's a near dystopia, isn't it? Yeah, near kind dystopia. Kind of like Robocop. Yeah, so basically the, the basic plot behind it is the American government is about to bring in uh, a way to stop crime permanently, and it's by broadcasting a signal that targets... Dis- disrupts the disrupts the brain's signal so the moment you're thinking about doing anything unlawful whether it be committing a murder stealing something or doing something apprehensible this brainwave signal is going to put you in a state of paralysis and prevent you from doing it so basically they, they call it the api or the american peace initiative and basically what uh, a group of thieves uh, attempt to do is they will attempt to steal nearly a billion dollars at near moments before the signal goes on. Now you have our main character played by Edgar Ramirez as Graham Brick. Um, he is uh, an established uh, thief who has unfortunately just lost his brother in jail. I do like, the st- not the brother bit, I like the established thief. It's the way you, way you said that sounds like it's on his business card. Yes. Hello, my name is Graham Brick. <laughs> thief, I'm established- est, 1902. <laughs> yes. Um, so he's... He is having a bit of a rough patch because his brother has unfortunately died in prison uh, and uh, the local crime bosses are looking for uh, a considerable amount of money that they that they currently own. Um, so that's all gone to shit. Um, so basically, uh, Edgar Ramirez teams up with uh, Michael Pitt's character who is uh, the offspring of, of, one, of said crime lord who wants to make a point by stealing the money from everyone on the, and make it the last great American crime legacy. And and there's also a uh, there's also 
this I'm looking at the forecast list to try and find the right people, and this is this is not all <laughs> professional, the... Ian. Yeah, are you, are you talking about Shelby Dupree's um, played yes. by Anna Brewster? Yeah, uh, and uh, to complement the two, uh, there's also uh, the mysterious uh, uh, Shelby Dupree played by Anna Brewster, who is apparently with this main uh, Michael Pitt's uh, criminal character Kevin or sometimes she'll decide to flip the switch and hang out a lot with uh, Graham Playbaker Ramirez and they, you know, they're, they're, that's it in a nutshell oh and for some reason Solito Hopley's playing a cop who mm. is trying to get used to the fact that this thing's happening in a couple of days can I, can I just say you've, you've hit the nail on the head there with the uh, expression um, for some reason <laughs> that's pretty much how you describe everything yeah. in this film for some uh, reason for some reason um, <laughs> and this is also based this is also based on a graphic novel from uh, Radical Publishing uh, Rick Rimmeder and Greg Toccini uh, and directed by Olivia Megaton who has done uh, films such as Taken 2 Taken 3 Transporter 3 uh, Columbiana as well I, I didn't realise that Olivier Megaton was French I thought I thought the chap was American and he changed his surname to Megaton as in like a nuclear weapon yeah we just wanted to uh, eliminate his favourite transformer just remove the R <laughs> Jesus <laughs> like, oh where, where? So I, I said Jesus I meant to say Optimus Prime because oh, he yeah. is the transformer yeah, Jesus that, isn't he and don't forget that's why we celebrate Prime Day um, oh no <laughs> Oh, oh. That was, you should feel bad for making that joke. Get out of your garden. It's my garden now. Okay, I'll go inside. <laughs> oh, where do we start with this? The fact that it's a steaming pile of. Um, well, the fact is, you didn't complete watching it. I this is the. I I got an hour into this movie and I just had to stop. I was planning on finishing the film, but I felt like I'd seen enough. And um, I've read the synopsis, and this this is. This is very bad. <laughs> this is the only way to describe so, it. There are there are many problems with this movie. Where do you want to start? Because I feel like we're on the same wavelength here. Well, the first the first thing is, and to, I will give this the reason why I was really appear, attracted to this film as a film I last week was I liked the premise. I liked the idea mm. behind it. Do you find it more frustrating that such an interesting premise is wasted? Yeah, what, yeah. <laughs> because here's the thing, and we we were briefly talking about this before we started recording. Um, the 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 big first problem with The Last Days of American Crime is it throws you in and you're expected to get into it within a few moments. It's yeah. ridiculous because the opening 20, 20, 25 minutes is a disjointed mess. It's worse than Suicide Squad. Yeah. Um, and the problem is it opens you... This opening scene gives you what is meant to be our protagonist, a hero, yeah. acting despicably against um, people. We and we have no reason to understand whether yeah. or not he is in the right to do the way, the, to act the way he is. I yeah. mean, I just he just came across as repugnant. Mm. Um, um, so any sense of um, you know being uh, <laughs> um, being with the rooting for this character is kind of thrown out the window straight away. Yeah. Um, it is. It feels non-linear for non for non-linear's sake. It sh it should have been the film should have been presented chronological. Yeah. Um, the film should have taken its time. It felt to me as if they had finished. They'd wrapped up filming, and then they realised how bad it was during the edit and the edit is an attempt to save the movie with what footage they had mm. um like the there's a superfluous um narration yeah. by the main by the um by Brewster but yes by Brewster's um, character um just to give you as much clunky exposition as humanly possible yeah um it is very badly written as well 
it's, it's, yeah. it feels like the worst. Do you remember those string of really bad imitation Tarantino-esque movies in the late 90s? Yeah, it definitely it's one feels of those. like it's, it's one, one of those. those. Yeah, as someone who's watched Tarantino but doesn't understand the, you know, the intellect behind it has decided to make a movie. Um, so the, the, yeah, you're right, the opening t- first act in particular is an absolute mess. And it's really strange moments as well because um, the Brewster character, she is the narrator... She also describes there's a scene where she's introduced and it's meant to be like she is so stunning that she silences the you know she everyone's drawn to her and it like completely changes the tone of the of the of the room she's in but mm. that doesn't happen that's not how it's that's not how it's filmically presented she just walks into the room and mm. she describes how she has had that effect on them but mm. she hasn't had it and it just comes across as really, really quite bizarre. Mm. And then she inexplicably has sex with the main character. And then I, within the first moment of meeting him, yeah, it was just they're straight in the box. It's like, oh <laughs> no, it's like I'm going to tick, I'm going to tick something off my my bucket list. What's that? Ah, oh, just fuck a loser. Yeah, and so um, her introduction is very odd, and <laughs> the whole concept. I mean, it, yeah, it's just a, you you jump between. It's not so much jumping between A, B, A, B, A, B. You're jumping from A to G to Z to Y Somehow to we've K, got to number four. To, number, <laughs> to the number four. And it's, it's just that if you were to plop down the sort of like the, the timeline, the first 10, 15 minutes, it would give you a headache. It would look Good like, luck. Good it, luck. It'd look like Jeremy Berrimi from Bloody Good Place, if you're, if you're aware of that at uh. all. But um, it's, yeah. So that's, so structure is a major problem. Structure is a major problem. The second problem is this film is stupidly too long. Two and a half hours. It could have been told in 90 minutes. Yeah. This could have been a really taunt, nice thriller, and you can get rid of a lot of the chuff. I mean, we both love Shalito Copley. I mean, he's great in things like District 13. Uh, is it District 13? Or District 9? It's District 9, isn't it? District 9. Um, he's great in films like District 9. Uh, obviously, Chappie as well. Even supporting roles in things like The A-Team, stuff like that. Why did he turn up for this film? <laughs> because and, not, and it's not saying that he's away. He, he's, the mortgage. <laughs> well, it's not. Say, I'm not trying to say that his performance is bad because it's it it was okay. It's fine. The problem is I don't understand why his character is in this film. I it's, don't understand it, why we've dedicated twenty maybe twenty minutes of the film to his cop just saying, "Oh yeah, well, can I just be on duty for this day?" It's like there's no point. You can cut. You can cut that entire character out and. No one would care. Mm. No one would generally care. I think I've already used the term superfluous to describe elements of this film already. I'm mm. already five minutes into this review, but superfluous is the word for that character as well. Quite a few characters, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, my, yeah, I, I totally I totally with you there. Another problem I have with this film is it's just badly made. Um, there is so much coverage in every scene. It's as if um, Megaton's turned up and just gone, I want to film that, film that, film from this angle, film from this angle. He's covering so many mm. angles. And then in the edit, they're throwing it all, slapping it all together. There's a scene about 40 minutes or so in where um, the, the main hero, what's his name again? Edgar Ramirez is uh, playing Graham Brick. Thank you, Brick. Um, that's how much of an impact this film's having. Really. <laughs> um Brick is talking to a random guy who was in his crew about trying to convince him to get into yeah you you know the scene the dri- about. it's just the driver I think so yes um it's it's on the roof and my problem yes it's the driver you know, ignoring the fact that again it's really bad Tarantino esque dialogue like really bad like no, no line uttered in this film felt like it's ever been spoken by a real human being in the entire history of our civilization no line at all um. 
so ignoring that fact and, and the fact that again the scene is utterly superfluous it's filmed from every conceivable angle and every conceivable way like there's crash there's like slow zooms and like and it's just the edit is just it's like a strange merry-go-round of angles <laughs> and it doesn't stop i just i started i wanted to scream at the television just like please pick an angle and like film like stay within 180 degrees please it's just it's it's creating this false sense of kinetic energy which is just draining it's really exhausting and it doesn't do it it's meant to be the scene should be calm because you need a pe- i mean the john wick films are excellent at pacing like they know yeah, when the, to it's the build towards the storm the storm yes. of revenge the storm of violence stuff like this whereas last just... days of crime is kind of like well we're building towards something but we don't know what it could be just like a nice argument it could be just ah signals turned yeah. on i mean one of the biggest problems of films is it's ideas um, it's ideas over actual story. Yeah, and um, the ideas are interesting, but they're being uh, executed by people who clearly either aren't particularly interested in this, or <laughs> they're not. Hmm, this is going to sound really condescending, but I, I think it's true. <laughs> it feels like these the people making this film think they're cleverer than they actually are. Is that I mean, harsh? Is no, that too no, harsh? I don't think that's too harsh. I don't think that's too harsh at all. Oh, the amount of money they're being made, I, mean, I can be I as mean, critical as I want. I mean, I mean, it's like. It's kind of like every, every, there has to be a twist every so often. There's, there's double crosses, there's crosses, there's triple crosses. It's like, it's worse than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah. It's <laughs> just like, what was it? There's a pentuple cross at one point in yeah. that film. Like, it's, yeah. Uh, and it, it's just certain bits that get introduced at the beginning that you don't really notice about, just certainly turn up at the end. It's like the, um, it's like the start where, uh, Ramirez goes to this drug doctor and gets two really nasty Soviet. Oh, yeah. Soviet-style drugs. They only come back in the like the final what five minutes. What was that about? I didn't, I didn't understand what was happening at all in that scene. Again, that was that was one of those scenes that felt like I. Can you imagine? Just I know it's beyond our realms of experience going to like a really dodgy Soviet like um, doctor to get some hard you know, illegal drugs. You yeah, know? that's not our experience. Like, um, but could you imagine being in that situation and engaging in the kind of conversation they had? Oh God! <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, this is this is this is. Premium nasty shit. You'll get really, really crazy, no, but no it's very toxic. This. Yes. Like, <laughs> what? What? <laughs> so you're giving people a suicide pill? Yeah. It's like, is that what Ramirez? Was, I, I'm guessing that's what Ramirez was asking for because he was really kind of on his on his legs there. I don't know if it was. That's again. That's, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> and that's not my fault as the consumer. That's the film's inability to communicate its own. Again, I don't think the film knew what it was trying to do it's just it's, it's <laughs> so so slapdash everything yeah. about this film is slapdash uh um yeah. by, by the by the time it all comes to head because i i sat through it and i think by the end of it i think i was just messaging you just going oh this has happened whoop the fucking do <laughs> <laughs> because it's like it's like oh that's not surprising at all no no it's not no and it's just it's just some of the like there's a there's a twist coming where someone just turns around and goes oh yeah i can do this now it's like really you really just decided to just say you could do that. <laughs> so just it threw out the, I mean, the loose logic of the film is completely f- sacrificed for a, a pointless twist. But it put, it put, it put certain elements of the film completely out, out, out. Because there's a bit, it's like, it's like there is, there is a character who turns around and goes, I'm, I'm going to delve into this a little bit. So apologies if you don't, if you don't like the spoilers, but I'm going to go into this a little bit. Yeah. There's a character that turns around and goes, oh, I don't need to worry about the signal because I've managed to shut off my brainwaves for that bit. 
And it's kind of like, okay. I mean, you, you know, the, the, the science element of the science fiction <laughs> like was at a stretch anyway. The science I mean, behind this was bollocks. I mean, how, I mean, how does the how does the wave know to target? Because is, is the wave based on particular pieces of legislation? Because how would it know? Like, how would it def- separate between like corporate crime and like yeah. jaywalking and like? Is it just because there's an episode of Red Dwarf called? Um, uh, I think it's called Justice. If it's wrong, I apologise to the dwarfers listening. Which is set on a, a justice, a sort of a prison spaceship, where there's there's a, a sort of psychic field that stops people from committing crime. Because if you commit a crime, it happens to you instead. So like, um, Lister sets fire to a bedsheet, and he gets caught on fire himself. Mm. So it, it creates a sort of um, a Pavlovian effect. Yeah, I think Pavlovian expre- uh, effect is the right expression there. Um, um, so these kind of themes, and I'm, these themes are done before. I mean, there's, I can't remember. What's the name of the film where the prisoners had the tags on their necks and they couldn't leave? Oh, well, that's a quite that's quite a common thing in some certain films because you think it's like Battle Royale as well, where basically oh, yes, Battle they, Royale. Yeah. I mean, the, to just touch a point, there are films out there that do future dystopian crime. All that the Purge series does this much better. <laughs> when you, when you're saying the Purge does something much better. You know the film's bad. <laughs> I mean, this this does feel very derivative of yeah. the Purge, actually. Now you mention it, but there's also I think there's also elements of the film they could have touched on a lot more, theme wise and story wise. I mean, the whole idea behind the brainwave sort of things is really really interesting, and there's lots of there's lots of connotations and annotations like okay, so for the people that are able to get these sort of implants, they they do implants in the film where cops have the choice to get implants put into them so they can bypass the signal. It's like well. Well, aren't you just inviting a new class of criminality? Yeah. <laughs> like, it just, it's, it's, again, it's the inherent logic of the piece doesn't yeah. actually bear scrutiny. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like it's 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 like there's hypocrisy in this film. It's certain rules for certain characters, but then other characters go, eh, fuck it. What? <laughs> <laughs> why, as a viewer, would you be invested in this world if the world doesn't conform to its own reality? Yeah. It's 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 just yeah. It. I, I, because. <sighs> First stage, it was like the Salito, uh, Charlito Copley storyline. I thought to begin with was going, oh, okay, this might be a bit interesting. It's like he's the he's the last he's the cop who actually wants to continue doing his job up until the day because a lot of the other cops in the film are just going, well, signals going on in a couple of days. Yeah, but that that subplot's just thrown away. Yeah, because I was kind of pondering what his role in the film was going to be. Was he going to end up being? Was he end up going to be a real sort of? No nonsense policeman go against his superiors and and do what he thinks is right, or is he going to be so fed up with the system that he decides to join the criminals? Because I was kind of thinking, well, maybe he ends up joining the criminals in a sense. Mm. But no, he's just he's just a, a a normal cop that just gets caught up in it all. He's just there, and he's just there just for the sake of being there, just for a little moment of oh, by the way, there's going to be this problem, and he's going to be involved in it. It's like <laughs> to paraphrase Tony Blair, superfluous, 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 mm. <laughs> like. It's a, yeah. This this, this film this, is. Yeah. It's also it's also just a very boring movie. <laughs> yeah. I'm di- I'm disappointed. I think out of a lot of films, I think I've been very. Uh, I've watched this year. I've been very. Dis- I was like I'm. I've I've really has been, been a, disappointed. Has there been a good Netflix original we've watched since starting? We started doing streaming specifically. Um, well, there, extra- there was the, Extraction wasn't too bad. Extraction was it was very cliched though, but it was passable. Yeah. Uh, that's something I probably wouldn't. I would say if I watched in a cinema, I'd be fine. Fine with. Yeah. We got coffee and creme. That was dreadful. Oh, co- no, coffee and cream. Cream, yeah. That, no, that was truly abysmal. Um, I think this might be worse. Because really? it, it, 
I, th- I think Coffee and Cream was an uglier movie, but at least it was consistently bad. This was... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like it, it, was, it was awfully mean-spirited, but at least it was continuously mean-spirited. Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> this, this is just... At least that, yeah. At least it had a plot. Put that on the movie poster. It's mean spirited, but it's mean spirited throughout the film. It's, 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 it's true though. It's true. It like it. It was a bad movie, but at least it was um, it was a, a, a it was a technically it was technically a film. I don't think this is technically a film. This feels like. <laughs> It's just such. It's just so bad. Not only is this bad on a story, a storytelling perspective. This is a very. This is bad in a filmmaking level as well. Okay. Like um. Yeah. So. <laughs> just, so. I can't. I, be- I, I can't I, believe we're sat here debating the merits of which film is the stronger film. It's like Coffee when Lisa. Like, it's like when Lisa and Bart are arguing who they love. Uh, who which one loves Homer more? And he goes, Oh, go on then. And they go, You love Dad more. No, you love Homer more. <laughs> I mean, the, the, we we gave Coffee and Cream one star, right? Yeah. I mean, spoiler alert, we're giving this one star, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. one star. <laughs> one like, star for the last days of crying. <laughs> Maybe we should give it zero stars. Because <laughs> we, we've been talking about doing our... So we've been talking about doing like a special series for, for Twitch on Bunkzilla where we're kind of ranking certain types of films. And I think we were talking about ranks where you can go, oh, five tier, five class, five so it'll be, stars. It'll be A to F, like, and then, but there'll be an S super tier at the top. Oh, well, yeah. Like. I think the way I was looking at it was kind of like star ratings in, in, a, in a sense. It's like, it's like, this is a five-star film. That means it's top, this is great. And then obviously there'll be platinum tier or something like that. Mm. And I think I came up with one saying, I, if we just can't be bothered to put them in, put them on the rank and we're so upset by the film, we'll just put them in the bin. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, so, so you're thinking bin, bronze, <laughs> gold. I know. Uh, sorry, silver, gold, platinum. Oh no, 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 no! It's bin, meh, bronze. So, well, obviously, this, we'll work it out. We'll, we'll work, work it out. out. But this is a Paper, show that wood, wood, diamond, <laughs> diamond. <laughs> Hang on, are these wedding anniversaries? <laughs> Ruby, <laughs> chaos emeralds. <laughs> yeah, this film is a yellow emerald. Yes, I feel. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm. I, what other awful thing elements of this film do we need to talk do about? Do we? Do we need to talk about this film any further? I think. I think it's quite clear from our voices and from our reasoning to our listeners that. If you have a slightest thought about watching the last days of crime, you deserve to have that white, that sort of crime wave <laughs> thrown at you. Like, gosh, it was just, it's, you know what? I think this film was rather bad. <laughs> the more I think about it, the less I like it. <laughs> One star. Yeah. So, official star rating for the last days of crime. It is the unfortunate rating. Of one star. Well, we're going to have to have a dedicated special just to determine what is worse, this or coffee and Kareem. The answer is extraction is better. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) The question is neither. (laughs) (laughs) Why is it better? Because Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Yeah. Handsome fellow. Um, Gosh. Yeah. Uh, So that was your... I'm very angry that you'd pick such a terrible, awful movie. What film did I pick? Oh, I'll, I'll tell you. So, but it's not just I, I'm just I'm really disappointed because it's like I looked, I watched the trailer, and I was kind of going, you know what? This might be, not be perfect, but you know what? If it's a nice, if it's a nice, if, well, no, it can't be nice because it's a crime. If it's kind of like a, a well, if it's a competent, if it's a competently made and just kind of standard bare bones crime thriller thing that Megaton has done. I would have been fine. I just, I probably still would have given it a low rating, but you know what? It's passable entertainment. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Um, 
But no, I think I'm just it's just the length, the boredom, the the sheer the, banality of it all. The disjointedness of it and just and just it just wasn't good. It's just bad and it's dumb. Yeah. And not and that, not fun dumb, just yeah. just this is when it, stupid. When, when it's when it's not that level, you know it's bad. <laughs> oh well, but yes, like we said, last days of crime, one star here on Film Raw. Right. So Christian, you picked uh Don Bluth's uh classic animated film, An American Tale. Well yes, I thought this was part of a duology with um the last days of American crime. <laughs> but uh, before <laughs> before we touch on that, let's have a clip. I know, my little immigrant. You want to find your family. And you will. But how? It's so far away and it's so big. I'll never find them anyway. Je m'excuse, pardon. But did you say never? So young and you have lost hope. Oh, this is America, the place to find hope. If you give up, you will never find your family. Let's talk about American Tell. Uh, directed by Don Bluth, produced by uh, Steven Spielberg. Spielberg as well, and Blin Entertainment. It's the animated tale of a Ukrainian mouse family, the Malkoviches, who are emigrating over to the United States. However, during their um, transportation overseas, uh, the youngest member of their family, Fival, is uh, separated through tra- through tragic events. So it's like it's, uh, there's a, uh, I think it's a, tidal wave attack or something on the boat and uh, he's separated and he must try and relocate that family when he arrives in new york um and as you mentioned christian last um, last episode it was quite uh it was quite like a study of obviously uh immigration of the time mm. uh, not just that i mean the jewish experience in particular mm. I mean, I was, so i mean it's not touched upon at all but um the um the cats that attack their family at the beginning are meant to be. It's meant to be an anti-Semitic attack. Um, it's, it's strangely mute in its in its representation mm. of because I mean, if you're familiar with um, the iconic comic book Mouse, which no. um, it's um, basically it came out right about the same time. In fact, there's there's a, 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 um, allegations of um, um, of plagiarism from the comic. Um, it was quite pioneering. It, it taught. It told real life stories of the Holocaust through the perspective of cats being Nazis and Jews being mice. Mm. And um, there was a big debate whether or not this comic counts as fiction or non-fiction. Okay. Um, so it was. It, it was kind of um, giving. It was kind of given special awards to sort of like get around that question. Um, so this ca- this film came out at the time Mouse was being produced, mm. uh, being serialized. Sorry, and. It, it's it's a brilliant idea turning like the, the Jewish experience of the 20th century through mice and being persecuted by cats, and especially as a, as an allegory for communicating the story for like younger viewers. Yeah, and I think this film is admirable in the story it's trying to tell the the sort of experiences of persecution and like the um the hardships of first generation migrants, especially in America. And I do like the fact that the film the film presents America in in an idolized sense as believed by the migrants and that, oh yeah, that, the, land, that the land of opportunity land of opportunities or that there are and it's a song that re- repeats all the way through the film there are no cats in America um, of course it's slowly come to realize that's not true at all and it's the, the worst elements of of America are sort of um start to impact um Fival's life as he's, he's basically he's, he's forced into a sweatshop mm. um and um, yeah, so there's, there's, it's an admirable project, but but and here's the big but: 
it is boring. It's really, really pedestrian. Yeah. And it just falls flat all the way through the film. It's only... It's, it's only not, an hour and 20, but it felt long. It felt as long as um, The Last Days <laughs> of American <laughs> Crime. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like I said, at least this film is is a heart behind it. Yeah. It, it, I'm, I'm glad this film exists. And it, it was a hit. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, I was, there was a, a sequel. There was a sequel. Yeah, yeah. Which, um, which I remember more fondly. And having watched American Tale, this one, the original... I think if I think if even if I was young, if I watched this, I would have been bored. Well, it's I don't understand how you could take something so because ex- this could should be an exciting story. Yeah, um, but everything just I didn't care at mm. all. I mean, I, I don't know if it was just because of the direction, the animation from um, Don Bluth, who um, I've always felt the only film of his I haven't seen is The Secret of Nim. And I've been told over and over again by people who've watched it that it's excellent. And it's, it's, have you not seen Tony? Uh, I have seen bits of that. Okay. Um, um, every other film of his I've watched, I I remember watching as a child, but never really finding always a bit cold. Like yeah. um, Old Dogs Go to Heaven, um, um, what was the um, Thumbelina and, and um, An- Anastasia? I yeah. think is dreadful. Um, so I've, I've never, I've never been impressed by him. He, he seems to have carved a name for himself by being not Disney, because obviously yeah. he had a difficult relationship with them. Wasn't um, his animation style in Black Cauldron? I believe so. I mean, he worked for Disney for a long time. Mm. Um, I, I, I'm not entirely sure of the politics, but I, I, from what I gather, he felt he deserved a higher place in the organization that he was given, and basically. Uh, Left the company with <laughs> with with a lot of their um, senior animators and formed Don Bluth Productions. Okay, I'm just having a quick look at um, Don Bluth's uh, mm. resume on IMDb. Yeah. And in terms of animation department stuff, uh, he was involved in a lot of stuff Disney wise up until uh, The Fox and the Hound. Nineteen eighteen, he was uncredited for that one as an animator, but after nineteen eighty one is where he branched off, and, and then you have things like Secret of Nim coming in. Yeah, and I mean it's, it's it's interesting. I mean, like I, I like competition. I like I like the, I like more more studios. That's why I think we're living in a golden age of animation at the moment. Mm. I mean, I I don't think the quality of animation at the moment is always consistent. But at least there are different films being yeah. made yeah. and different styles. Um, you can this film does feel like it's seventies Disney. I mean, I I. I rewatched a contemporary movie alongside of this, or element uh, parts of it. I rewatched The Great Mouse Detective, which was Disney's oh, yeah. Disney, mouse yeah. story, yeah. and it's interesting because the story is not as admirable in terms of real world mm. um, representation. Well, it's their it's their take on Sherlock Holmes. It, isn't yeah, it? it's 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 um, it's 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 yeah, it's not nowhere near as important a story, but it's better. <laughs> it's so much more charming, mm. so more entertaining. The, the characters are characters. Mm. They're not just... I mean, with American Tale, most characters say them say... It feels like every character say, says the same line of dialogue or a variation of the same line of dialogue all the way through the film. Or they're just a caricature of just... They're uh, all caricatures. They're all... It's like, it's like Honest John, the, like the drunk politician who just wants a vote. With that terrible Irish accent. I'm a piece of the creature. What you're doing right now is a better impersonation of an Irish person than that bloody film. Will you get me hot if I have a better of the creature? Oh, gosh. I think they're they're one of the main main protester, uh, the older older mouse woman. I don't know her name off the top because I can't remember. Kind of like the Eleanor Roosevelt. She sounds like Zaza Gabor. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's sort of case. Again, it's like I, I watched. It, I just thought, is that Zaza? It's like it sounds like Zaza Gabor. It's just, it's just strange. I mean, it's the topics it chooses to discuss in terms of the um, the experience of first generation migrants are more prescient. Are the ones more prescient to adults? I mean, I, yeah. as a kid, if I was watching a film about the politics of this, I would be. I mean, I was bored out of my mind anyway. I but mean, it just, it just seemed, it just seems. It was, it was more interesting. It doesn't, than like, it doesn't it, feel it. Do- with that in mind, it doesn't really feel like this is a film for kids in a way, does no, it? No, that's and that's one of my problems. It, I mean, it talks about it feels more like it's talking about like union rights and things like uh, like again important issues, but they're not. Yeah, you kind the the film is trying to t- is trying to tell difficult a difficult story f- by by framing it through the experience of these animals. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do that with the rest of its themes, the, the, the specifics of its story. It, it just presents to you as if it was an adult drama. Yeah. And it's like, well, what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> what's the point of uh, <laughs> trying to turn this like into a story for like young people if you're not gonna? If if it's it's just su- it's just superficial. It hasn't hasn't really attempted to translate its story mm. in an engaging manner for kids. I uh, just had a look at the box office for American Tell. It made back it back in. In its original release, it made a worldwide gross of eighty-four million dollars. Was that at the time? That's a huge amount of money for an animated feature. Yeah, I believe it was the biggest non-Disney animation yeah. at that point. Opening opening weekend in the USA on twenty-third of November, nineteen eighty-six, five million. Wow! So it it, 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 it obviously I mean, it, it, the sequel the sequel Fuffle Goes West followed about six years later, um, which I out of the two I prefer. Five Goes West more because it feels more like a family film. It feels more like a child's film. Um, it's more colourful. The animation quality is a lot oh, better. The, the animation is the colours. I mean, it's interesting. The animation is of its time. You, yes, you compare it to absolutely. similar Disney movies around, like The Great Mouse Detective. Yeah. Um, and it's the same style. You, you can tell he's a Disney animator at heart. Yeah. Um, the problem is that it was the same animation style Disney were using in the 70s. Mm. And I mean, I'm, I, we're only this film was only two or three years before Little Mermaid, which was the kick in the ass the anima- animation industry needed. Mm. And, and even contemporary filmmakers in, in Japan, the animation is so much better. Mm. I mean, it, it's just it just feels really flat. The color palette is ugly, really ugly, and just dark. And yeah. like, and re- like <laughs> maybe Zack Snyder only watched this film. And his approach to uh, <laughs> into like are you saying there's an American tale the Snyder cut somewhere? I would love to see that. <laughs> <laughs> it'll probably it'll probably cost thirty million dollars to yeah. re-edit it. To be honest, well, you've got twelve million to pay back Hollywood, so we just need to find the. Oh, other, I shouldn't have downloaded that film. We, we just need to find the eighteen million. Um, um, I was going to say, I think, yeah, it's just unfortunately, it's like the ideas behind the film are great. Um, it's just on, pa- on on paper on paper, but the execution is poor. Execution is poor, and even musical numbers are boring. They're bad. It's it's it's, it's that, that that whole there are no cats in America. It's it's an earworm, and it's the worst kind. It just mm. gets stuck in your head, and you're not enjoying. Not not never say never. The, 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 <laughs> the, it's like oh hello little pompadour pigeon. Oh wee. <laughs> what was the point of that? The whole pigeon scene. So he just had a nice top hat. <laughs> it yeah it just if it felt like the worst of both worlds it, I, re- I it's like again it's like going back to the second one i remember some of the songs in the second one a lot more than i did here it's like i'm sitting here listening to the songs while the film's playing and none of them's getting me kind of engaged in the film i don't feel drawn to the film it's like you know with certain disney films with certain disney songs 
certain songs they give you goosebumps mm. they give when they're combined with the animation and the sequence and the emotion behind it you get goosebumps and you go this is like the perfect combination of of things it's well, like it's look like at, look at the great mass detective of a Vatican song mm. I mean, like, I mean, it's a villain song, which is different because mm. there isn't a villain song in this. But like that, the great, the great thing of those Disney songs, and especially during the Renaissance era, mm. is they they provided the exposition you needed in a way that um, is compelling and engaging. You learn so much in two and a half minutes about these characters and what yeah. they want to do um, in a way that's so just efficient, um, uh, like like. Um, uh, Rattigan song, as I just mentioned, um, I've, I've villain ones in particular, like Scars, um, Be Prepared. That's uh, one of my favourite Disney yeah, It's very one. good. We, we talked about this on Trivial Titans. We pro- yeah, we pro- probably have. Um, no song in this really... Mm. Oh, I'm just... I know, I'm just trying to think of Disney villain songs. I think Frollo's uh, Hellfire. Oh, Hellfire. That's an incredible... That's a very... So that's interesting that's, it, because it, it, it communicates a very... That's a very adult song. Yeah. It's about <laughs> basically it, it is lust. Yeah, it's about over Esmeralda. Yeah. It's about a chastised uh, governor of the city of Paris, thinking of of succumbing to his like carnal desires. Well, it, it, the song. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's so it's lust. It is it's racial bigotry. Mm. Um, as a kid watching that sequence, you may not understand it, but you you get his compulsion. You understand he is he is he's, driven crazy. By yeah, his you, under, you understand the sort of the raw emotional state of the person without understanding the more adult nuances of like the. It, the, it, it felt it felt like at the time because he's like with certain Disney films around that era, Beauty and the Beast felt like a big Broadway show, and that's the, that's how they mm. went behind it. That's how they sort of drove the sort of musical element to it. Because they cast Broadway actors as the voice act- as the as the talent in the things, so voices of Belle, Gaston, and stuff like that. They're all Broadway actors, and I kind of felt when you watch Hunchback of Notre Dame, it feels like it's Disney's attempt to make like a proper opera out of this. Yeah, very dark opera. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting because Hunchback of Notre Dame hasn't really. St- I know we're going off a bit off yeah. tangent from the review again. That's probably a reflection but it, but of, but, uh, it, but it's good. But it's good sort of context in some of our, mm. our arguments against uh, arguments sort of constructively criticising American Tell. The fact the fact is, I think we're able to constructively criticise American Tell a lot better here than the last day's American Crime because when there's not much to really kind of be positive about with the last day's American Crime, obviously, it, 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 it's, it's very hard to be positive and kind of very hard to kind of find merit in here. Whereas American Tell, like we've said, on paper, there's there's some good stuff here. It's just... And it's an admirable production. I like the fact yeah. that there was an attempt to make tell this story yeah. and communicate it to children. Because, I mean, it's it's important, this mm. kind of, these experiences. and it's, Absolutely. But it's, it's just, it's, which make, in some ways, makes it more frustrating that this film failed to do so. I, yeah. I, I, I just, I wasn't interested in the characters, didn't care at all, um, which is really surprising. Um, I can't think of, yeah, D- Disney seems to have done it better. Mm. Uh, no, I guess, I don't think the characters are real characters. They're all just strange caricatures. Yeah, they, they. I think I just said this a moment ago, but they, they, they don't develop as characters. They just, they are. They're just like here's your token. There's here's your token 
love interest. Here's your token oh, rap scallion best friend. Be- who's just there. There's no yeah. real there's no relationship. There's no relationship. It's like, oh I'm just a there slightly is... older, cheeky, chappy mouse. With an with an, an annoying faux Brooklyn accent. Oh yeah. He's, when he falls in love with the um the the protesting mouse. Yeah, the, like, the, they, the they, young they, Irish Irish mouse girl. And they kiss. And it's just the most unnatural thing. <laughs> it's more unnatural than watching mice talk. Like, my my, <laughs> sorry. It's just it's true. I mean, like if you, it, it doesn't matter how fantastic your story, the way you represent your story, it needs to be grounded in emotional reality. <laughs> like, like, I, I like, just, like I, the, my, the mice from the rescuers. I'm convinced they are f- characters. I, I and I, they're I, a couple as and well. And they're a couple. So at no point do I question that relationship. In here, I'm just like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> Again, like the last film we reviewed. There is no line of dialogue in this film. I think people have ever had this conversation before. <laughs> it's like, oh, uh, man. Anyway. And um, why wouldn't you think there are cats in America? <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand what the, the song's trying to say. It's, it's like, like it's, life it's, is better in America. Yeah, yeah, of, course, of course, of course. You wouldn't get all this trouble in America. It's like, yeah, there's still cats in America. <laughs> there are no cats in America. Naive fools. Uh, <sighs> so, well, I mean, what positive? So, yeah, the spirit of the thing, I think, is a positive. Yeah. And um, obviously it, it, it was a hit. There's a, there's a nice dash of Dom DeLuise in there as well. As as the cat who doesn't want to eat mice. And... Yeah, but again, that character is just... There's a weird sequence where he helps Fivel escape, and it feels like... Do you know the moment I'm talking about? Yeah. They jump between various shots that have kind of already been used. I think they've been recycled, and he has a, a has an expositionary piece of dialogue that explains that he always wanted to be friends with mice. Yeah. And you, it and just felt just, so slapped on. And then there was also that bit where it said, oh, you're fired. All right. I swear there's a bit where all the towards the end in the finale where some of the cats are driven onto the boat going to Hong Kong. I swear Dom DeLuise's character is going on that is on that boat. I I I feel like they late in the day that they had a, they decided to turn that cat character into like more of a protagonist. Yeah, but it feels so strange. I mean, it's it's it's, it's an odd one because <laughs> it's also it's, it's a story about it's an anti it's a story that's anti racism. Mm. But in order for the film to work, it has to paint every cat. As a monster, <laughs> so I think the problem with the Dom DeLuise character is they introduce him far too late in the bloody story. Yeah, he's just and and every other mouse is fully accepting of him as a good guy. It's like ah oh, oh, he's nice. He's a nice guy. He's it's a Dom, good one. What are you talking Dom about? It's Dom DeLuise. How can he be a bad guy? It's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of like the idea. Spoiler alert! I like the idea of their ringleader being a small cat who's pretending to be a rat. Yeah. Like they're manipulating the the mice, and mm. again, but again, that's touching on an adult theme that's kind of. Even if a child understands it, it's it's kind of like Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace is a film about a tax dispute. Yeah, what should have been a because I mean <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying you shouldn't attempt to tell more complicated stories for children, and Pixar does it brilliantly. Mm. But it's 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 done in a way which it, it, it what's the word I'm looking for? It's able to communicate complicated ideas in a really engaging and fun way. Mm. For, I mean. Um, Look, look at Coco. Yeah, I mean, like that's uh, the 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 themes of that film are very very adult in some respects. So sort of the family dynamics, like, are really, but it communicates that story so well through the um the main character. Yeah. Um, and sort of like and the, and the struggles of like Hector. Um, I mean, he's even with Onward, which we talked about. It's like yes, it's like, yes. It's like it's like again, it focuses on the relationship between brothers. It focuses on 
on trying to grow up without a father. And, and, I, I, and I think the reason why those films work is they, they, they anchor their narrative through the main character. So it's, it's framed through a character who you can relate to as a young person. Yes. So you become that character. Fivel should be that character, but the film isn't actually through his perspective. No. He's just there. And it just kind of he's kind of thrown through events. We don't really see the world through his eyes. Yeah, which is a bit strange. It is a bit strange, and also again, it's like I I can't imagine children being a maud or kind of drawn to this character five mm. I'm it's like don't get me wrong, sweet, sweet, and all that, and it's like where's my family, all that sort of stuff, but. There's nothing else. I can't. I can't imagine children going. That's. I. I relate to that character. I engage with that character. I think another problem as well. He's immediately defiant of the cats, mm. um, and so there's. I think the film would have worked better if he was terrified by them and became braver, mm. and then because and then was able to confront the cats at the yeah. end. But he immediately just went. Oh, it's a cat. It's a cat. All right. Like <laughs> it just doesn't seem particularly plausible. Mm. Yeah. It just. Yeah. These uh these these cartoon characters don't seem particularly authentic to me. <laughs> I mean, I, I know, you're, I know. You're, just, that... you're, waiting, you're waiting for the CGI remake of American Tale with real mice. Oh, it will happen. <laughs> I mean, I'm amazed there hasn't been a remake, to be honest. And like, I think the story could be good. It's just this one isn't. No. Um, and yeah. I, it's like, I'm I'm still keen to go and rewatch Fire Goes West in my own time. Just simply for nostalgia value. And again, it's like watching the little clips that I was doing so on YouTube after I watched American Tell, I was still going, I'm still, in, I still want to see this more than we watch American Tell 1. Because it's like, it, I think it kind of... it actually is colourful, engaging. It's colourful, yeah. Like, and I think I think they may have worked out some of the kinks then, hmm. I suppose. It was, anyway. probably, it was probably too late. It was a few years before Toy Story. Yeah. And like, and you're already in the Renaissance. You had Aladdin yeah. came out before... Yeah, American Tale too. Mm. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, like if, if you want to talk about like game changers, like Aladdin is a game changer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, let's have a star rating for the American Tale. I'm. I, I don't think we're going as low as one. No, but no. I think we're not going as high as two. No, I think two is. I was thinking two star. Okay, it, it's as we said, noble intentions, interesting ideas, bad execution, really bad execution. Yeah. There we go. Fair enough. And you can watch uh, American Tale on Netflix now. If you've seen it and you think differently of it, do let us know. We would love to hear feedback from you guys on the films that we cover in the film. If anyone out there really, really likes The Last Days of American Crime, I would love to know. I, I generally, I'm just curious to know what they found positive about the film. Like we didn't. No, no, absolutely. As long as, as <laughs> don't, don't hate us for hating American Tale. Well, yeah, it's just, <laughs> just because of the nostalgia bait. Yeah. It, like I said, we, we try to be constructively critical of the films. We don't go into a film saying, oh, it's just shite because There's it's no shite. Point. No, I don't like no. that mentality I mean, at all. You know, no, if, if, if there's a reason why the film isn't good, we will try well, to our best to explain why. The, the reason we're here and the reason we, we do these reviews is because we love film. Mm. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to... I'm not going to crap on a medium that I love just for its sake. I, I mean, I, we, we probably all know people who are like that. Yeah. Get very, it's kind of like a form of gatekeeping. Yeah. Like, um, and I, I want to go and watch a film and love it and enjoy it. Mm. And so, if it do, if it fails to do that, then I'm very angry. Yeah. Like, how dare you, Spielberg <laughs> <laughs> and Bluth? How dare you? If, if I ever meet you, I will I will give you a stern talking to. <laughs> and then they'll just go, okay, we'll go count on millions. Right. Right, I don't know what I'd do if I met Spielberg. I'd probably be a bit awestruck, to be honest. 
Maybe like a genuine fanboy. I probably would be like, it's Jules. Or you try. (laughs) It's like it's like you might have that. It's like I can imagine having a fanboy moment where it's just like you're trying to say a genuine question to someone, and it just comes out of. I was watching a do- it's like um, brain fart. Yeah, I was watching a um, uh, TV interview with some, from um, Japan. Um, this young reporter speaking to Miyazaki, and you can kind of you just kind of it was you could tell the moment Miyazaki walks into the um, walks in t- towards the camera, the um, this this young interviewer's demeanor completely changes, and his mm. eyes just open up. It's almost like he's staring at God. Yeah, uh, and he's like mm. like Miyazaki seems just, Miyazaki. Mm. Like he is he, he is Miyazaki. It's just like if anyone knows anything about him, you just you just know what. Hmm. How would you describe Miyazaki? I don't want to say miserable is not the right word, but there I is. Would, a, I would I would say stoic. Mm, yeah, stoic. Very stoic, reserved. He is an artist. Yeah, like I think he's more of an an artist artist than say commercial artist. Yeah. And I don't. I don't think he's particularly interested interested in people praising him. <laughs> no, he, he just he just wants to just animate. Yeah, and that's and that's a and that's a that's a fair enough um, motif to live by. I think if I met Miyazaki, I just want to shake his hand and go, "Hey, that spirit array, it was alright." <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, "This was a mistake," <laughs> and then just walks away. All I mean, I agree with him. All anime is trash. <laughs> Do let us know your thoughts on the films we've covered in this episode by emailing us at filmrightbunkerzilla.co.uk. Don't forget, you can also follow Bunkerzilla on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch at Bunkerzilla UK. So until next episode, stay safe. I've been Ian Bolton, and as always, I've been joined by Christian R. Allen. How do you leave your garden? Uh, Through the gate over there. Cool. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Stay safe. Keep it cinematic. (laughs) 